Hello and welcome to the Euractive Agri-Food Podcast. I'm Natasha Foote. And I'm Paula Andres. And here's your weekly update on all things agriculture and food in the EU from Euractive's Agri-Food News Team. This week, the EU extension of trade restrictions on Ukraine and a chat with Indonesia's Minister of Economic Affairs on palm oil. So I'm doing my best not to say hello and welcome back to the podcast, but that's what I want to say. But Gerardo keeps (laughs) telling me off about it, so I guess... Hello again, everyone. <laughs> and let's dive straight back into, straight into the main story of the week, which is about Ukraine. Um, so this week, the main story is really the news that the European Commission has chosen to extend temporary trade restrictions on four agricultural products from Ukraine to five European frontline countries until September. So let's rewind a little bit. What are we talking about here? Well, we've had a lot of drama about this temporary trade liberalization that was meant to help Ukraine export agricultural commodities um, to the EU. But this has led to, uh, this is the whole story, it's been going on for months, led to a huge influx of goods into Eastern Europe. So we're talking here about um, Romania, Slovakia, Hungary, um, Bulgaria uh, and Poland. Obviously, the commissioner's home country of Poland, um, and this has caused a lot of chaos. It's been it was pushing prices down. It was pushing local farmers um, really to the edge. You know, there was a lot of complaints. I mean, these complaints started a long time ago. I remember us starting to report on this right at the at the end of last year. So it, it's been a, been an ongoing thing. And so we had this influx of goods, and then the EU, well, four of the EU frontline countries turned around and implemented their own unilateral bans. On, on agricultural products coming from Ukraine. Now, they can't really do that because trade is a competence of the EU. So, you know, countries can't turn around and say, oh, I just want to unilaterally, you know, block this or do this. So caused a lot of chaos as well. And this was the response, this temporary trade, these temporary trade restrictions, which we're talking about, that was the response from the EU, basically saying, you know, drop your unilateral bans and we'll do something to try and protect you. Um, and this was essentially what they came up with. But these, um, so these temporary pre- preventative measures, they were due to expire on the 5th of June, now been extended to the 15th of September, concerns specifically wheat, maize, rapeseed and sunflower seed. And basically these measures restrict the circulation of these commodities in these frontline countries that I was talking about. Now, this has been pretty controversial. Why? Uh, why is the question? <laughs> well, for for many reasons, I think. No, many reasons for many reasons. Paolo, do you, why has it been so controversial? Do you want to do you want to come in on this point? Um, well, no. Yeah, it has caused some uh, some um, criticism uh, from uh, some member states, namely uh, from Germany and from Spain. In this case, um, on the side of Germany, uh, so a German uh, agriculture minister has has criticized that uh, this decision uh, doesn't only uh, um, put into question European solidarity uh, with Ukraine, but it's also kind of playing into the hands of uh, Putin, of the Russian president, um, who's uh, according to the agriculture minister uh, is going to help him in trying to divide the international. National community um, and and economically harm Ukraine. 
Um, then on the Spanish side, uh, they have a different approach, uh, which is the fact that drought is also linked uh, to, well, drought is also linked to this uh, situation because, as you all know, Spain is suffering one of the worst droughts in history. Um, and this has affected the, as well the crops of cereals. Uh, it has, it's, it's linked to the crop failure uh, in many regions of Spain. So, so this has brought uh, Vice President and Minister of Economy, Nadia Calviño, uh, to point out that actually um, the, this, these restrictions on the grain of Ukraine are very important for the stability of the food market at an international level, but also at a Spanish level, because actually Spain has become the, the let's say, the first client of uh, grain from Ukraine. Um, in the in the recent months, um, given the context, as we said, of the drought, this has also sparked um, well a response uh, from farmers associations, uh, in this case Asaha, um, who uh, have previously called on the government to take a clear position in defense of the interest of the Spanish uh, cereal sector, and they say in line with other European countries. So, so basically as well in line with what the commission is uh, doing now. But this move, so obviously it's been controversial in Germany and Spain, but it was also controversial for other reasons. Um, so one of which is that actually, as I said, the these trade restrictions are conditional on the fact that these uh, frontline countries drop their unilateral measures. Um, but actually one member state, can you guess which one, Paula? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, please tell me. <laughs> <laughs> One member state, which is going to come as a surprise to everyone who's not playing by the rules, um, is Hungary. So actually, Hungary has, oh, wow. shockingly, um, is actually yet to meet <laughs> the EU executive's conditions for the extension. Um, so that's also controversial. And I asked the commission, you know, does this mean that these temporary trade restrictions don't apply to Hungary? And they basically said no. So I don't, you know, those two things don't really add up. That's pretty controversial. Um, also, there was a bit of controversy, mainly caused by us, should we say, <laughs> but definitely with others that I was speaking to as well, um, over the communication techniques of the commission um, when they were announcing this, uh, these trade restrictions. Because basically, you know, the news was that they were extending these trade restrictions. That was the news, you know, extending it from the 5th of June to the 15th of September. That, that was the news. But there were some attempts by the commission to kind of bury this news in older news that was a lot more palatable, you know, and the, 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 press, the, the press statement that was released by the commission was something about extending trade benefits I, um, I, to UK, yeah, to Ukraine, yeah, yeah, which, you know, is a funny way of saying that you're restricting um, some, you know, some agricultural commodities from coming from Ukraine into the EU. Um, and so it was all a bit... Well, we said it was a bit Orwellian. We actually have a brief about this. Gerardo and I put this together. So I do invite you to check that out um, on this kind of like news speak and the way that they were trying to frame this, this, these restrictions. Um, but don't worry, we're here to see through all of this news speak and report about it. Um, <laughs> you don't yeah. let one pass, Tash. You don't exactly. even let one pass. Nothing gets past us. Don't worry. <laughs> That's what we're here to, to, to keep you guys, uh, keep you guys sorted. Um, but of course, as well, we're talking here about all the reactions from the EU, from us and in, in base in Brussels and from Spain and Germany. But of course, there were reactions on this 
also from Ukraine. And, you know, they weren't very happy about this. I think it's safe to say. And actually, um, we'll hear now from Taras Kachka, who's Ukraine's Deputy Minister of Economy and also the main negotiator in Brussels on trade to hear what he has to say, his reaction to the news that these these trade restrictions were extended. We decided that war is is not a time for trade wars. And uh, and that's why for us, the biggest problem of irritation is the fact that uh, these demands uh, are are not of demands that are uh, like foundation of these uh, limitations are not well justified. So that's they, they're based on general assumption that uh, increased trade causes some problems. I'm trying to, to find out which problems uh, Polish farmers have. They, they do not have a problems in reality. The message to Poland and to European Commission is that uh, since uh, that's their political demand is generally satisfied, that there is a new limitation, uh, so it's time to sit and to talk absolutely rationally because we don't want to, to um, like to extend this field. Um, but also in other uh, Ukraine-related news, there was the destruction of the major dam in southern uh, Ukraine this week. And actually, this has led to severe floods in parts of Ukraine. And this will likely have a, a big Uh, impact on agricultural production and exports, according to the government in Kiev, who estimated that around 10,000 hectares of agricultural land will be affected. 10,000 hectares is a completely mind-boggling amount of of land. Um, And actually, here's what Minister Tashka had to say about the destruction of the dam. I think that this is one of the biggest uh, environmental catastrophes for, for, for in a decade because uh, in reality that it, it covers, it, it brings a lot of damage. I think that it uh, can damage up to 18,000 people living in, in, in villages that are actually flooded like for, for in several hours. They are totally under underwater, so that's why this is a matter of taking them uh, out of the dangerous territory so, uh, so that the so that the impacts will be will be really in multiple dimensions, so that it will be a very negative impact on water irrigation in the region south south of, of Ukraine. And so even Zaporizhia Zaporizhia atomic station can be impacted as well. So that but this is explored now. The damage will be there. So it doesn't mean that it's like damage all the agriculture because we you know that. The, so all regions of Ukraine are quite actively uh, for, for, for quite important for agriculture. So not only south, but up to Chernihiv, etc. Et but so that's that's why I think it will just add another areas that will that will, will that will be damaged by by, by this. And also it, it it will impact so that for the future transportation because now this um, shipment along the Dnieper River and Kherson port and Mikolaev port are blocked but uh, uh, we, we don't know what are the long-term consequences of, of this uh, 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 damage or destruction of, of this dam for, for the long-term functioning of, of these ports but it will be uh, e- easy to, to restart or relaunch their function after liberation or unblocking this. And our focus this week is on agri-fuels and everything about the deforestation law. And we have a very special guest with us today to explain the nitty-gritty of this, uh, uh, the latest policy developments in this area. Uh, we have Euractiv's transport editor, uh, Sean Carroll. Thanks for having me on the podcast, Gerardo. Yeah, there's a reason. There's also a reason we 
have uh, Sean today because we had this very particular interview uh, two weeks ago. I just I just mentioned that we had the public like it was <laughs> yeah there was an audience yeah it was an audience it was a bit like uh very very peculiar i'd say and we had this interview with the indonesian uh, coordinating minister for economic affairs uh Hairlanga artanto sorry for my pronunciation in indonesian and the deputy prime minister and minister of agriculture and commodities of uh, malaysia fadila uh, yusuf Uh, they were here in Brussels uh, to uh, basically discuss with uh, the EU counterparts on uh, the latest development on the EU deforestation uh, regulation. Uh, so, Sean, can you tell us a bit more about this? Uh, w- what's the beef between the EU and, uh, and these countries? Sure. So, as you mentioned, these uh, ministers from Indonesia and Malaysia, We're here because they've taken issue with the EU's uh, recent deforestation law. So this was agreed in December 2022, and essentially it bans products that are linked with the clearing of forests um, anywhere in the world. And it tries to ensure that everything uh, that's imported into the EU is basically free from deforestation. And it does this through applying um, what's called due diligence laws. Um, There are also certain um, certification requirements. And according to Indonesia and Malaysia, this new law could have um, a very negative effect on their export of palm oil. So these two countries are responsible for uh, 85% of global palm oil experts. So they're really palm oil powerhouses. In the EU, palm oil has a very negative reputation. I'm sure you're aware. (laughs) It's already very much linked uh, in people's minds with deforestation. But they say that the issue with what the EU is doing is that, first of all, they weren't consulted. And secondly, the, um, the new kind of bureaucratic requirements to achieve the certification that they're free from deforestation It's basically too expensive and that small holder, uh, small holding farmers will be the ones most affected. They won't be able to afford this. We're going to hear from their voices, but this is not something new because there was already uh, some issues in the past between uh, uh, basically the palm oil producer countries uh, when the Renewable Energy Directive, uh, the Red 2, uh, was uh, uh, reformed. Uh, what happened uh, at the time? So um, Indonesia has actually taken the EU to uh, to court to the well to the World Trade Association. Um, sorry, you just say well Indonesia. Yeah, sorry, Indonesia actually um, launched a low. Uh, <laughs> Whatever you want. Okay. So Indonesia actually launched a lawsuit against the EU at the WTO, um, alleging unfair trade practices. Um, And this is because the EU made the decision to essentially phase out palm oil as a feedstock for biofuels. So um, it's perfectly possible to make biofuels uh, from palm oil. But because of what they said were the kind of um, deforestation risks linked with incentivizing this feedstock, um, the EU made the decision that by 2030, Uh, we should no longer have uh, palm oil allowed uh, as a as a biofuel feedstock. Um, this hasn't been settled yet. Um, the case is still ongoing, but um, it shows just how seriously they take any, everything around palm oil. 
And let's hear now from uh, the voice of uh, Indonesian Coordinating Minister for Economic Affairs, Erlang Artanto, uh, what's the situation uh, with uh, deforestation and also the uh, national law on deforestation uh, in Indonesia? Indonesia has to do the moratorium of uh, deforestation in 2011. Mm -hmm. It's not up to Europe to tell us not to do deforestation. Mm -hmm. Your cut-off date is 2020 for Indonesia. And 2019 to 2075, we do a 75% reducing in deforestation. So it is the concern of Indonesia. And Indonesia have about 189 million forests. That's much more than you put together Sweden, Finnish, and what have you in Europe. Mm -hmm. So we are more concerned then. But we also concerned about our farmers, our mm -hmm. smallholders, and your deforestation law uh, for big company is very easy to comply. But the issue will be on the smallholder. And as you mentioned before, uh, Sean, the main problem for them is uh, traceability and the costs uh, that will be basically embedded in the final products uh, coming from, uh, uh, of course, making uh, everything uh, traceable. Uh, so what, what are your thoughts on that? So, yeah, I mean, as you say, traceability is kind of the key word. The EU wants to be able to trace back where these uh, feedstocks came from in the first place. Um, so this means that farmers have to essentially prove their geolocation um, they also have to give evidence um, that their goods weren't produced on land uh, that was deforested after the end of 2020. Um, and there are also some clauses about protecting uh, indigenous people and so on. But what's being alleged by Indonesia and Malaysia is that in order to, to meet these requirements, they have to produce a huge amount of documents and that it's just, it's just too much money for, for smaller farmers to deal with. Yeah, let's hear from uh, uh, Minister Hatarto uh, the position of the Indonesian government on that. The effect will be on the cost. Mm. You would like to have traceability on the product. Traceability is additional cost. Traceability is cost administrative procedures. But the issue will be what will be used for the traceability. What standard are you using? ISPO, MSPO, RSPO already have a component of traceability. In Indonesia, you in timber, we have flag tea. We have introduced the flag tea since 2002. We are already aware about it, 2002, 20 years before Europe Parliament aware of that. But is there any premium price on that? Who is bearing the cost for that? Not consumer in Europe but the farmer in Indonesia. And the, the minister also, uh, we're going to listen to another uh, bit from our interviews. Um, he also mentioned uh, the costs for farmers, uh, but there are also other interesting provisions when it comes to, uh, for instance, the uh, protection of indigenous people. Right, exactly. So um, one of the allegations that's always leveled at the biofuels industry um, outside of the EU is that in order to grow biofuels uh, crops that they've cleared land that belongs to indigenous people 
Um, there was a campaign uh, where actually some people from Brazil came over to Brussels to share their story. Um, so the EU wants to prevent this, of course. So they have um, due diligence requirements that the, the land wasn't um, essentially stolen or infringing on the rights of indigenous people. Yeah, and uh, let's hear from uh, again from Minister uh, Artanto the um, the issue of the cost for farmers. One issue will be on the traceabilities, mm-hmm. and uh, the the farmers, Indonesia has fifteen million farmers, and uh, Malaysia is seven hundred thousand farmers. In order, one single farmers to provide all the documentation is very costly. So the nature of the business is from the farmers, they sell to the merchant in between, the traders. The traders will provide all the documentation, but they would like the discount, the price of the palm fruit to the farmers in order for them to sell to the mills. We learned that uh, the traceability issue is much more easier for big companies because big company own its own plantations, its own mill, its own export market. So the business is more pro-big companies, pro-multinational, pro-conglomerate, that is less favorable for small people. So this is what we say discrimination, unfair practices. Yesterday during the lunch, uh, there is an exercise of document for one container of palm oil. It required 1.2 million documentations, administrative procedures, which only can be solved with the technology, with blockchain technology. But in order to do that, you need consultant, you need to buy system, you need to buy new service. It basically create additional business for making compliance of this. And finally, of course, I mean, they were in Brussels, they want to deliver a message, they want more clarity from the EU. Uh, what do you think is, was this main message from uh, their side? Well, I think that uh, they want to be involved in the decision-making process more. I mean, the EU has a reputation for kind of uh, being the regulator of the world, acting unilaterally. Um, they said that if if the EU is going to make decisions that gravely affect their societies, their nations, that they essentially want to seat at the table. Um, they've put forward uh, their concerns to kind of high-level decision makers in the EU apparatus. Um, and I believe that there was a discussion of the EU setting up essentially a task force where Indonesia and Malaysia can uh, essentially air their concerns and that this could be reflected in how policymaking evolves. Also because there's a, there's a, um, a, an FTA pending between the EU and Indonesia, for instance, it's actually seven years that uh, they're discussing. And this uh, particular restrictions on uh, palm oil, uh, deforestation law, but even the WTO case that you were mentioning before, right. could actually... Uh, be some kind of uh, a stumbling block, let's say, in uh, in the, the negotiation. And also, I, I think that uh, uh, there was in the G20 some meeting between the Indonesian uh, Prime Minister and Ursula von der Leyen. It's still not progress. Like, again, there there's uh, the ambition to close the, uh, I think, in 2024, if I remember. 
Right. I mean, this was also brought up that um, even if the EU doesn't necessarily need uh, as much palm oil mm-hmm. from these countries, um, these countries also have uh, raw materials that the Indeed. EU does need. Um, so if they want to have, you know, a level playing field where they both are reciprocally trading, um, then there needs to be concessions on both sides. So EU can has also have access to what it needs. There's also another case at the WTO, I think, with the steel. Yes, that's uh, correct. That it's uh, Indonesia and EU. So, yeah, it's uh, it's not only about, uh, as you said, the agricultural commodity, the domain agricultural commodity from uh, these countries, but uh, it's it's a bit like this, this sense that, uh, you know, I mean, Particularly, our listeners are quite uh, keen to following the developments of the agricultural um, world, the agricultural policy making. But at the same time, you can see the uh, you know this interrelation with, the, for instance, transport uh, policy making, yeah. but also you know the big things like uh, geopolitics and uh, and trade. And uh, uh, it's quite interesting also because sometimes you have uh, conflicting views from, uh, like, I mean, the EU is always the same uh, institution, but at the same time you have uh, a branch that is pushing uh, toward a direction and the other one to another, which is a bit the the best thing uh, of our job, basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, palm oil, there's more to this than just palm oil. Obviously, it's our relations between nations, trade, and so on. I mean, the EU's response um, to these kind of allegations that it's being discriminatory towards Indonesia, Malaysia, is that, you know, they just set the rules and then it's up to everyone to make the to, mm-hmm. to, to meet those rules mm-hmm. and that they don't have um, any particular countries in mind. They're not being discriminatory. They're just setting a level playing field. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, when they do this, it does affect some countries more than others. But, I mean, that's their stock response anyway. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, Sean. The Transport Brief is live on... Every Tuesday. Every Tuesday. Every <laughs> Tuesday. So you be sure not to miss the Transport Brief uh, coordinated by... Coordinated, written, everything by Sean. <laughs> yeah, well, there's also uh, my colleague, uh, Jonathan. Okay, Packer. okay. He also contributes, Indeed. but... Uh, I also have a hand in it, yeah. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Okay, thanks again. Yeah, thank you so much. That's all from us this week. Uh, so this week, the AgriFood podcast was brought to you by your Actives AgriFood team, Natasha Food, Gerardo Fortuna, and Paul Andres, with the technical support of Evi Curry. You can also find this podcast on all major streaming platforms that includes Amazon, Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. And be sure to subscribe to our brief so you don't miss the latest news from the EU. I'm Natasha Foote. Thanks so much for listening and see you next week.